Christopher Cooper's Mild Ale. Triple M rocks the ashes. G'day, it's Cal Ferguson. We had a lot of fun in the Triple M commentary box, so grab a Cooper's Mild Ale and enjoy our favourite moments from day two at the SCG, starting with Mark Howard, Mark Taylor and Brad Haddon. Smith gets tangled up. Didn't want to play the pull shot because of the two men back, and it just got him in the midriff, and he was a little uncertain. And that one, he's taken that on the body, but that's what that field does. He, with that, the guy being out, the two out in the hook shot, he, he can't just play that shot. He's got to concentrate because if he gets a top edge with that, he's a chance of getting out. And with Wood's extra pace and bounce, that fielder out there, one, you might think it's a defensive option, but I, I think it's a big wicket-taking option out there for Steve Smith because he can't get out of jail. It's a little bit like the old um, body line theory, isn't it? So, mm. Douglas Jardine and um, you know, Harold Larwood type bowling. Couple back for the hook, legs slip in place to Smith and bowl at him. Um, make him change his game. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's legal body line at the moment, I suppose, is the way to look at it. But it's a, a theory that's it's going to work, provided you don't get carried away with it. And that I don't think Mark Wood will. He's, he's bowled a couple of short get at Smith and then that one was sort of off stump. But Smith was good enough to play on the offside for a single. So it's a good battle. And as we said earlier, that's what you want in Test Match cricket. You want the bowlers and captains working out other ways of getting batsmen out. So this is a, this is a really nice battle. Talking about body line, Tub, I had the pleasure of speaking to Usman yesterday. And he said during the week, him and Cam Green had sat down and watched the old series because they love their cricket with uh, it was Gary Ooh. Sweet and Hugo Weaving as Douglas Jardine. One of the great shows that was, Tub. Oh, terrific. And I think they shot a lot of that at, um, at Mossman Oval, I think, didn't they, up uh, here on the um, uh, northern sort of beaches of, of, of Sydney. Um, one of the old lovely grounds up there with a view over the coast. Uh, they did a lot of the shooting up there, but that was a terrific show. And obviously it was a momentous series, wasn't it, that body line series? Tub giving us his full Bill Collins review. I like it. Talking about that body line series. As if we were going to make an epic four-parter about Tubbs 334. I want you to have a think who maybe you would play Mark Taylor in the, in the role of the uh, <laughs> of the man that rolled out to Pakistan after a lean trot and then just peeled off runs. That's easy. Who you going? Gus Wallen. <laughs> Gus Wallen to play Mark Taylor. Oh, come on. Come on. So I was thinking, yeah, it's not a bad shout. I was probably thinking more, who's that bloke that played Warney? Eddie Perfect. He's sort of got, a, got that similar build. Who would you like to play yourself in the Marathon 334, Tubbs? Well, the, the, no, the names that come to mind straight away for me would be probably Tom Cruise, um, <laughs> oh, maybe um, George Clooney, someone like that. You know, the, so you know, someone with similar appearances. That, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. You know, yeah. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. The late great John Candy might get a run in there at some point. In time. Actually, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing John Candy play me. Actually, that'd be good. One of my good mates, Matt Leno, oh, I was lucky, lucky enough to play Dennis Lilly in, in the series. Oh, great! And he said one of the the best things was researching the character. Right. So he had the time of his life. So yeah, he played Dennis Lilly in the in the Packer series. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh. Brendan Cow, I, th- I think, played. Rod Marsh. Yeah, it sounds about right. And the bloke that always played Kerry Packer played Kerry Packer. <laughs> Made a living out of playing Kerry Packer, old mate. Done about six shows. Oh. This is where we need Andy Lee here because he's much better at this, I think, at some stage. Is Andy completing any more of the test? or No, he's done his stint, has he? Right. So he's done one stint on day one. <laughs> it would have been good for him to roll out who he thinks should play who. 
We just had a message from James Brayshaw as to who he thinks should play young Tubby. I'm just going to hold it for Paul, but it, it, it has amused me. It's oh, a, this will it's be a, good. It's a fair shout. Our great fearless leader appears a young Tubby could be played by Jonah Hill, and I like that. That's a very good shout, Tub. Oh, Jonah Hill, that is your territory, Tub. Jonah Hill. He's maybe oh. more you at the end of your career, not in Pakistan. <laughs> You would have slimmed down a bit in Pakistan, wouldn't you, Dub? Actually, yeah, I did. Actually, I did a bit of training before that series. It just about killed me. Just about killed me. Imagine, Worked. Imagine when you train and you get three hundred. Something into that. <laughs> Tub, you were talking about the great Greg Mo Matthews. Give me a Mo story. Oh, where do I start? I, I'll tell you a Mo story about the SCG in my first year. Yeah. I, I actually won. I actually won his shoes off him. Um, <laughs> He, he had these pair of lovely black shoes, um, dress shoes, and I was a uni student at the time playing my first year and only had the you know, pretty ordinary shoes at the time. And Mo says, hey, hey man, that, those shoes won't do, man. If you're going to cut it in this game, you've got to have the good shoes. You know? So he said, if I get 100 before Christmas, you give me your shoes. Yeah, so playing South Australia at the SCG, I think it might have been about the last game before Christmas, uh, I make my first first-class 100. And uh, Mo walks up to me at the end of the game and says, hey, man, well played. There's my shoes. And I saw I got a nice pair of leather, black shoes off Greg Matthews in my first year. That was my first ever cricket trophy for New South Wales was Mo's shoes. What a champion. I remember very early, Greg Matthews came and spoke to us in the change room. And he spoke with a lot of passion about New South Wales cricket. And I'll continue after this. And, and as you know, Tubby, he's very passionate. He's one-eyed New South Welshman. Very animated in what he's talking about. But you remember when Mo used to dance out... Yeah. like groove a bit but there was method to his madness he, he would ask the curator what wicket we play in the next shield game on and where he was dancing <laughs> was on the wicket <laughs> killing the grass where he's about to bowl so everyone used to look at him and say oh what's this guy doing out there but there was a method to his madness and and next week you, you play WA and they get bowled out for 55 and 37 um, and Greg Matthews <laughs> would take 10 wickets for the match hitting that bare patch that had no grass on it so is before his time. <laughs> James Brayshaw, Mark Waugh and Callum Ferguson. Now, Bray, I'm not sure if you were 100% across uh, what went on at the racetrack at Warwick Farm yesterday, but uh, it's oh, worth no. raising. What happened, please, Fergus? Well, listen, it was a good day for the war camp, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. I was oh, no. sitting right where I am here yesterday, and Mark Jr. War suggested he had something for us. Anderson to Kawaja and he's defending into the onside for a single. Moves to 12, 348. Very rarely gives away anything for free, Junior, from what I understand. (laughs) But what he gave us was a little gold nugget. He said, we've got one running at Warwick Farm in race four. Number one, we reckon it's an each way chance. Each way special, I would have said. It was was paying $1.50 for the place when I checked. Well, hang on, but, uh, it got out to eight fifty. By what, the time she ran break, she had yes. blown out $8 oh. for the win and two twenty-five dollars uh, for the place. Hello? So Hello. a few of us just had a little double. And it? didn't it come roaring home on the outside? It did. I just, uh, I just might have to renegotiate my contract. Uh, a little bonus is if <laughs> I keep tipping winners on Triple M, surely. I'm, I'm, it was outrageous Jeez, stuff. That was a hell of a run, June, wasn't it? Yeah, and the same thing happened the Adelaide test, uh, if you remember, Fergie. I tipped her mm-hmm. in Adelaide as well. Yeah, you did. Got the bickies there too. 
Yep. Amazing how that fight. information didn't drift its way into uh, suburban well, Melbourne. <laughs> I think I did tell Ricky Pining on Channel 7 he forgot to back it in Adelaide. So. <laughs> you're, you're too tight anyway, JB, to have a bet. Oh. You've still got your play lunch money from school. Anderson in and defending Smith. I've been accused of many things in life, June, and a lot of them are accurate, but that isn't one of them. Do you actually have a punt at all? Do you have a punt? I'm not a punt. Come I'm on. What's wrong with him, Fergie? Yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, we'll work on him over the summer. Yeah, We've only got one more on test him. left after this. Dan Ganane, Greg Blewett and Isabel Westbury. What have you got there, Is Jack Leach signs a fan's head as England battle Australia on day one. <laughs> <laughs> At least he has a... What would you want your head song? ...sense of humour, it sounds like. Yesterday, a fan who was... Um, Follically challenged, it sounds like. Well, a, a part of the brethren, the Leach brethren. And you mentioned he signed uh, someone's head. I don't know whether it was this morning or yesterday. Um, yesterday afternoon, it sounded yesterday like. Yesterday afternoon. Yeah. And I've I've actually been forced, yes. Dan, to yes. sign a female's breast. Yeah, I, I thought that's where um, you might have been going. Did you say forced? Forced. We yeah, I felt... I felt down, is. Yeah, so, um, like, I was... Oh, should I... I, I well, shouldn't I? Um, and, yeah, there was a crowd and there was, come on, come on. So I, I virtually was bullied into it. But um, that's probably the, the strangest thing I've had to Hang on, order off. Yeah, it's a sort of, I don't remember you fielding on the boundary. No, I did. I wish we were on TV because the look of disgust on Izzy's face tells the story. No, no, I just, I, I'm, I'm interested in how the forcing Forced. of it came into it. <laughs> oh, I would have got... Oh, run out of the joint if I didn't. What do you write on there? Just your name or a message? No, just just my name. Well, Greg on the left and then blew it on the right. <laughs> I think Howie was the one, Bluey, that brought up the Mark Taylor movie for uh, his 334 in, uh, was it Faisal Who someone has suggested on Twitter, how about Sean Aston? Now, he's the guy that played Rudy, and uh, was it Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings? That's a pretty good suggestion. And someone suggested how he should be played by Napoleon Dynamite. So there's some good... <laughs> I'm not sure how he would love that, but... Um... All right, leave that with me. I'll, I'll come back with my next um, stint, Dan, and I'll give you... So someone who plays Mark Taylor, is that right? Well, also in the movie, because, uh, you know, uh, you, you've got all the other characters. Do you play that test? No. Okay. All right. We'll think about that. Who was in that? Someone's got to play Inzamar. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the ashes. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the ashes. Jack Heverin and Mark Taylor. Just listening to uh, yeah. to Dan and Izzy and Bluey's just talking before. Tub, your movie's starting to really get some traction here. We're, we're at the point now where we're almost casting extras. We've pretty much got everyone else. I must admit, I switched off halfway through that because I thought I'm not listening to that rubbish anymore from that from that lot. <laughs> so who did they who did they end up was going to be the uh, play me? Who was going to be the lead actor, so to speak? What did they end up, What did they end up with? Well, it's still up for grabs. It's with the casting agents at the moment. Um, <laughs> Bluey's going to come back. Yeah, I, I didn't like some of the options that were mentioned uh, in my last stint. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sort of trying to distance myself from this movie idea. I'm, and I'd like to also throw it out there. I'm certainly no Shane Warne, so um, yeah, I, I'm sure this this idea will die. At, well, it's natural death. Although if Blewett's involved, he'll be he'll be keen to keep it going. I dare say.
James Brayshaw, Greg Blewett and Brad Haddon. The English skipper averages 43, not the absolute worst. 43 wickets in his 113 matches. I'm still not sure he's walking properly, Bluey, after that nurry bagging he copped in Adelaide. Those legs are still a long way open for me. Oh, a little bow-legged, you reckon? Yep. Jeez. Yep. Oh. That's a moment of summer. That was the moment oh, yeah. of summer. <laughs> yep. No doubt. Doesn't get any funnier than that. He had some nurry bag trauma. Oh, my God. Well, he, he copped a double strike, mm. didn't he? Yeah. Copped a morning strike from the wanger and then a, a mid-starking strike. You can't feel sorry for him, though, when you go into the nets with the wanger and not have a protector on. Yep. Yep. Hearing it. But it was humorous. Oh, yeah. When he tried to run those couple of singles, <laughs> no, so that's that was as funny it. as it gets. <laughs> yep. I could just picture him at the end of that day's play, too, you know, just lowering himself onto a, you know, oh. a, a big bucket of ice or... I don't know how peas. he would have gone about it. But Frozen peas. Yep. Now, Hads, have you got any mail on Graham Swan at all? I'm doing James's job again. I've got to host the tea time break, and we're interviewing Graham Swan. Anything you can Give me a throw at me? I, I tell you what, he was his enjoyable character to play against, actually. He, he played the game the right way. I tell you what, he, he wouldn't be bowled into five fielders out in the boundary. He, he, was, uh, he was an attacking spinner, but he's got a good sense of humour. I reckon nothing's off the table, Bluey. I, I can remember his last test series when he came out to bat. He took centre. Yeah, he's turned around. We had no one in front of the, the bat. You might have been coaching, actually, actually Bluey. And he, he's looked to us at the slips and he goes, oh, well, this is not going to take long. Get ready, slips. <laughs> Two balls later, off his glove straight to us. And he was the happiest <laughs> man at the Gabba walking off. <laughs> yeah, he he's good at impersonations too, isn't he? Yeah, very. He's got a band too. Last time he was on, we got him to do Bumble. That uh, northern yep, does accent. a very good Michael Holding as well. Does he? Yep. Get, see if you can get that out of him. Right on. Three for 222, Bluey. You're talking about Graham Swan. He does a very nice Michael Holding impersonation. He actually did it for us when he was out here commentating with us last time. Have a listen. Can you do ball by ball the next delivery as Michael Holding? The Italian would have rolled the wicket now. Need to get the third English wicket for the right hand batsman. Just left by Bearstool. Was that? No, Root. <laughs> wow. wow. Henderson to Kawaja. Wow. That's very good. <laughs> that is brilliant. That just, that, yeah. I thought it was Mikey. No, no. No, no. It's his best, I reckon. It's absolutely perfect. Dan Ganane, Mark Taylor and Isabel Westbury. Well, as Izzy just said, it's the hope that kills you. England 4 for 232. She didn't say that, but she thought it. Well, a bit of life is. Every single time we think it's dead in the water and here we go, another piece on England's capitulation. Something, as you say, just a little bit of bite, a little nibble on the end of the, end of the line. You think, right, let's do it. The one thing I would say is that Broad... Bouncing back from non-selection, this is what Broad does. I knew it was a classic English film that had the, I think, has the oldest recorded version of the line, "The Hope That Kills You," and it's a, a properly English actor as well, John Cleese, oh. Clockwise, 1970, something <laughs> on those lines. It's not the despair I can take; the despair is the hope I can't stand. <laughs> Speaking of free plugs, did you get your brekkie this morning from uh, the local cafe? Oh no. I don't know what's going on. It must have been a breakdown in communication. 
is some glum faces here. I don't think lunch was particularly appetising. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah. They, uh, See, that's where the benefits of being a written press hack is that right? come into its own, because it may or may not be a proper hot one served out back, out the back. And which, they won't uh, let us anywhere near that joint. I've got a little yellow tag well, on aren't my you accreditation. Spe- aren't you special? <laughs> <laughs> well, I shouldn't shout too loudly about it, because I'll be being sent for, for orders soon. Yeah, yeah you, you can do that. <laughs> Just uh, get a big... Uh, Get a big plate, fill it up like we're at a sizzler. Yeah, just coming back for seconds, thirds. By the way, when the next rain delay, we're going to play a game of the price gouges right. We're going to try and guess some of the prices of the food here at the SCG. <laughs> some are just outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I've got to give the SCG some love. I can't say, the, you know, the, the glum faces. Wherever. The chicken schnitzel burger is one of the greatest things I've eaten in my life. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm rating it that highly go on a little afternoon now, scouting mission. You may have to redraw on your mortgage, but it is worth it. I'm telling you, <laughs> it is that good. Jack Heverin, Mark War, and Brad Haddon. Midway through day number two, and we've got a brief stoppage here, Hads, because Joss Butler's in a bit of trouble behind the stumps. Yeah, I watched him the whole drinks break. He had the physio with him the whole time, but it was an interesting one. He closed his hand too early on his left glove and hit the back of his hand. And, mm. and the big concern was he, it looked like he couldn't close his, his hand. So Mark Wood's not going to let up. He's bowling 147 to 150K. So I'm going to have to bear it and well, just get on with it here. He bear it. He's got Bairstow in the team who's a legitimate wicketkeeper. What on earth would Butler be keeping now? I wouldn't give the gloves up. Had to, would have taken the gloves had you have gone down in those mighty test teams that you played in, who could actually keep? Yeah, well, everyone thinks they can can be a keeper till they have to do it. But I remember dislocating my shoulder in the the UAE and to go off and get and get it put back in. And while I was getting it put back in, David Warner took the gloves. <laughs> so I, I, I hadn't had a ch- I hadn't had a chance come my way for. I don't know, 60 overs. <laughs> and the second ball, Nathan Lyons had one come out of the rough, gone through bat and pad, over legs, <laughs> stumping. Poor David Warner had uh, missed a stumping chance about second ball, but yeah. Well, I played, and I'm pretty sure Justin Langer either played a one day international as a legitimate wicketkeeper, and that was goodness knows how that happened. But. This, in this case, it makes common sense to me that if Butler's in distress, which clearly he is, then you've got a ready-made replacement right next to you in Bairstow. Now, is that just being selfish that Butler doesn't want to give an inch to Bairstow? I mean, what's the best for the team? For Josh Butler to keep if he can. So well, you're saying Butler's a lot better keeper than Bairstow, are you? Well, he's obviously, in England's eyes, a lot better keeper than Bairstow because they've They've gone with him in the test team and best those playing as a bat. But if Josh Butler hasn't got a break and he can get through the rest of the day, well, it's his job. He's been selected to wicket keep. I remember playing him a first test match and breaking my finger about the second over and turning to Mike Hussey and saying, oh, I think I broke my finger. And he looked me in the eye and I was looking for sympathy. He said, I'm not keeping hats. <laughs> yeah, I understand all that, hats going to have a maybe a look upstairs, I doubt it, inside. I understand that, but I, I can even understand in a test match where it's very hot, 
You've been out in the field for a day, over a day, that you swap the gloves over. Why, why wouldn't you? Is it just well, ego or...? Well, you, you picked in the team to, to do your job. And, and one thing with, with being a wicketkeeper... I understand that. Yeah, well, I'm trying to answer it for you. You've got to listen to me. <laughs> I'm not liking what I'm hearing. <laughs> it, it, you mightn't like what you hear, but you're going to have to listen to the answer. <laughs> All right, OK. From, from a wicketkeeper's point of view, it, it's, it can be a, a 10-year position. If you call... If a batsman gets injured and there's six spots to play, if a wicketkeeper gives up their spot... You could never get back in the team. There's only one position in the team. If the guy that comes in does a really good job, and, and if I was Butler as well, the, the way he's kept this series, I wouldn't want to be giving Bairstow an opportunity with the gloves. If he can get through and he's not injured and he can get through, well, push on. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the ashes. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the ashes. Mark Howard, Callum Ferguson and Greg Blewett. Afternoon, Howie. Good to have you with us. It's uh, an interesting wait for Bluey. Is he just throwing a few invoices together over yeah, I in don't, Melbourne, oh, or what's oh, he up to? He's disappointed me, to be honest, Bluey. Um, I thought he was lucky to get a gig after the way he butchered his AFL season, but he's here. <laughs> It'd be nice if he turned up, turned up occasionally. I thought um, there was quite a nice little Greg Bluett highlights package forming. I've had a couple of emails sent through to me by numerous... Numerous avenues from Triple M, and there was a nice little package building, and, and a lot of it centered around a, a bit of an unfortunate incident with Dyson Heppel ah, whilst he yes. was on the boundary. That's uh, become quite a favorite on Triple M airwaves, hasn't it? Well, to be honest, we played a package of Bluey at the end of the season, and I, I said it's a, it's a season review of Bluey's work, and then the producer mm. informed me, no, that was just from the last match. So <laughs> that's sort of the, the way he rolls, Bluey. No run there. 5 for 264, Mark Howard, Cal Ferguson, and Greg Bluett does join us, Bluey. Clean belly, heel, bill of health, uh, clean bill of health for both teams down here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a snippet. We could run it in a two-hour rain delay and you wouldn't have to take an ad break. (laughs) I lose Uh, it every time it comes on. Small things, small minds. And the real Greg Blewett joins us now. Hello, Bluey. There he is. (laughs) What have I missed? How you going, guys? We've just been saying that you've been the standout of the summer and we love your football commentary and that you're probably the star of the whole network is sort of what we've been rolling with, isn't it, Fergie? (laughs) Something like that, Howie, I'd say. How are you, Blewett or Sirius? It's good to see you, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's um, been busy today, the last couple of days. You know, we're a couple of men down, so uh, I'm sure... What about you guys, Howie? Fox, have you had any disruptions? No, we, we, to be honest, we haven't. Um, we've been very fortunate. Unfortunately, a few of the backroom guys have gone down. We've lost a director and the Flying Fox operator. We lost a couple of them, but uh, we're operating okay at the moment. But it is at the forefront of everyone's mind. So we've been lucky so far, Touchwood Bluey. Yeah, we've, a couple of our uh, Hawkeye boys went down this morning as well. So, um, and they sit in a room. There's about five of them sit in a, a very small room. So uh, we haven't got any of that technology today. So, yeah, a lot of, it's everywhere, unfortunately. Good to see you, Howie, commentating with the mask on too. It's a, yeah. It's just due diligence that uh, I haven't seen from a lot of the other commentators throughout the series so far. So hats off to you. Well, to be completely honest with you, Fergie, I don't like to say this, but when you get paid as much as me, you do not want to miss a day's work. So. 
I'm only joking. I'm oh, you're not? <laughs> yeah, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> only joking, but no, seriously. <laughs> it is quite uncomfortable commentating in her mask, though. Um, you have to change it every half hour at the stick. You get a wicket and she gets a bit hot and steamy. Uh, underneath <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, are you getting a bit of a bead on underneath that thing? Yeah, it, very warm, very warm. Very Final hard ball. if you have to wear glasses too, Yeah, Howie. Mm. No, I'd be fogged right up there. You had something you want to talk about, Ferg? Oh, we had a couple of things. Look, it's been an interesting series so far for Bluey. He's uh, you know, obviously been a little bit put off and had his nose out of joint with the fact that I've had to borrow a suit of his with Channel 7. And then he was obviously uh, not overly pleased with the, uh, the outfit that he thought I left behind mm. for him with the BBL commentary the other night at Channel 7. Well... We just thought we'd run through a couple of moments where Bluey also had his nose and a few other things out of joint from earlier in the uh, in the year, or last year actually, in the footy season. There were a couple of moments that he might have tried to sock away and sweep under the carpet. Well, we've got a few people that have managed to uh, make sure that hasn't happened, and uh, we'll run through a few of those. What do, you, what do you got here? Get to it, Fergie. Yep, righto. Well, let's just run through a few of these, can we? Tice, uh, Dyson... Uh, Tyson Depple, sorry. <laughs> it's Ferg's idea, Bluey. I wouldn't do this what? to you, my man. What's actually his name, Ferg? <laughs> is it do Tyson or Dyson? Or? Dyson Heppel. Oh, right. Bluey is the captain of the great Essendon Football Club, yes. my club. So I was listening, listening intently that day. There was another moment I was particularly <laughs> interested in. When you go down to your boundary rider, you're usually looking for a bit of information on what's happening out there. You know, is there... Any change in the conditions? Uh, is anyone looking a bit sore out there? And uh, well, the, the team at Triple M threw down to Bluey, and he had this to say: "For Bob James Seabass, got nothing for you, mate. <laughs> Get on your." How <laughs> <laughs> we all had nothing? <laughs> what is going on? Anderson Carey. <laughs> no, you had nothing, and it surprises me you've still got a job. To be completely honest with you, Bluey. <laughs> You know, my mum brought me up to be very honest, guys. So right. if you haven't got anything, don't bullshit the listeners. <laughs> no. you know, find something, Louie. <laughs> no, find that was something. a stitch. That was a stitch up. Absolute stitch up. I Who might, got I might you? Bore you with it, but no, nah, no, nah, run us through it. Throw some names under the bus, please. Uh, well, Rhett Biglands was yep. one of them. Big uh, Paddy Swayze. Ooh, okay, was in on it. Um, he was doing special comments, and he he was pointing at something on the on the sponsor sheet that needed to be mentioned. And the caller thought he was pointing at me down on the boundary line. So he came. I'd already just said something about two minutes before that, and uh, so he came straight back to me, which was a, a bit of a surprise to me. I was sort of you know tucking into something, might have been a pasty or whatever, minding my own business, and. They threw to me, Ferg. So well, the way you handled it, you wouldn't have known. <laughs> All you need to say, Bluey, is uh, a bit of action on the bench here, boys. I'm just trying to get a handle on it. I'll come back to you. Not that hard, Bluey. So what happens, Fergie, when you're genetically blessed like a man like Bluey, you spend the majority of your life getting away on your looks. So you don't develop mm-hmm. a great deal of intellect or right. ability to chat with the general punter because you don't need to because you'll walk into a room and everyone looks at you and says... <laughs> 
wow, every bloke's like, he is so good looking, I wish I was him. And every girl goes, can I go and speak to that bloke? So you don't need to develop a personality or, to be honest, the ability to communicate full stop. And, and that's what's causing Bluey problems because now his looks are just starting to fade a bit and, and he's got no chat to back it up. <laughs> uh. Is that Brendan Julian's problem as well? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'll tell you a story about BJ in a moment. (laughs) On the sponsor sheet, which we did highlight today on our lunch show on Fox, on the sponsor sheet, it'll say verbal. So you have to read out the sponsor credit, verbal, and it was, you know, the uh, Triple M tailor-made golf scoreboard, (laughs) verbal. You need to read read the ad. And the great smooth one, who never makes a mistake, went yesterday on Fox to the world about uh, Cooper's Mild Ale. Verbal. Cooper's Mild Ale is your (laughs) big... It was your real Ron Burgundy with the question mark at the end of the auto cue, And he thought he'd sort of slipped it through until we replayed it nine times at lunch today. So even the best make mistakes because he is the best. And how he mentioned Brennan Julian last over. Are you familiar with his, on, his presentation in the West Indies a few years ago? You We've only rolled across that. that one. Yeah, I've only rolled that in the lunch show about 37 times over the three years that Fox has been involved, <laughs> uh, revolving around Sir Frank Worrell and... Just for those that aren't aware, what happened there, Bluey? I'm interested to see the way you approach this on radio. Well, he had a, a moment like me. He got a bit of uh, tongue twisted, as you'd mm. say, Howie, and he mm. introduced, so it was the Sir Frank Worrell t- Trophy. Yes. And he said the Sir, well, he's, I'll just say it quickly, shall I? Yes. The Sir Wank Forrell Trophy. <laughs> Now, Fergie, it is TV gold. It's right up there with Sandy Roberts and Leanne Dick as one of the great media moments in the history of... James Brayshaw, Mark Taylor and Greg Blewett. Now, I was a little late to my stint. Have you guys been discussing what they're going to do with Usman Khawaja? Because it was only going to be one test, wasn't it? Yeah. And now he's made 100. So is it thanks, Uz, on your way and... Back comes... I think there's not a debate. Travis Head's got to come back into the side. Yep. It might be like Greg Chappell. Last test at the SCG. What do you make? 170 odd or something? And thanks very much. Yep. That'll do me. I don't know, Bluey, is the short answer. I mean, if you're, if you're rusted onto Cam Green batting at six because of his bowling, and you can understand that, then he obviously stays. But otherwise, do you fiddle around there or he doesn't play? Yeah. Not many people make 100, do they, and then get <laughs> dropped. Jason Gillespie. 200. Just made a, a doublet, and that was the end of him. <laughs> <laughs> that was his last test. Anyone forget about it either. No, that's, that's bringing the game into disrepute, that. <laughs> Gillespie, 200. Something our comrade Mark Walk still can't get his head around. <laughs> Even after all these years, Don Usman Bluey and the question you ask, he's going to get a look, isn't he? We've got some subcontinental test cricket coming up, so he'll definitely play there. Yeah, he will. He'll definitely be in the squad. Yeah, because... Um, and I love it too. I mean, someone that's given an opportunity and then it's one thing to be given an opportunity, but then to take it is fantastic. Yeah, it's left them with no option, but to include him in in the team going forward or at the very least in their next touring squad. Are they playing at the venue that, that, that produced the greatest road in the history of Test cricket? In Pakistan? Is, are they actually going back there again? Have they ripped that bit of bitumen up or is it still there? Oh, well, you mean up you mean in, the, in, the, in the lovely area of Fashawa, you mean, uh, Jake? <laughs> Mate, it was, it was doing plenty there. It was seeming, <laughs> keeping low, spinning. We're not going to bring up the discussion about uh, hundreds in a session again, are we? 
No. Actually, we're not bringing it up. Yeah. Well, it's not easy. I know that. <laughs> they, they just managed Bluey to get the bitumen and, and the, the white bits for the centre of the road to also be the crease. <laughs> Didn't they? Hey, I just asked the current what the current coach, he, he, Justin Langer, got his first Test century there, so you know he, he won't want it ripped up. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the Ashes. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the Ashes. Dan Ganane and Mark Taylor. I want to know because we're here at the Cricket Ground, and it's where you made your Test debut. And- you finish things here. First game as Australian captain, I think, was here. It's been 23, 24 years since you pulled the pin. Do you ever miss it? Um, Dan, look, to be totally honest, no. Um, uh, my last season, as you say, was 1998-99. It was an Ashes series, so the corresponding series 20... What's that? Yeah, as you say, 22, 23 years ago. Um, I, I, I knew probably going into my last test I was running out of steam I'd had a pretty good year I'd had my my beginnings in 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 Pakistan only in October of that year but I was I was losing the desire to to do the work Uh, so Australia had a a tour of the Caribbean coming up Um, then there was a bit of a break and I I thought about going to the Caribbean but I I just a wasn't prepared to do any sort of training beforehand and then I thought well if I go there, not play well, and then I've got three or four months off until the next uh, summer back in Australia. I just knew I wasn't going to be switched on and probably not play well. And that, and that's when you run into bad form and people start saying, oh, you played a year too long. And, and I thought, no, I'd, I'd, I'd grabbed the opportunity to get out. Yeah, so I, I really grabbed the opportunity to get out while I was still going all right, um, and people weren't saying that it was time to go. Uh, I was 34, um, so I wasn't—I didn't consider myself that old, but I knew in my head that I'd—I'd I'd had enough. And, and really, I was lucky enough that the, the following year I, I joined Channel Nine on the yeah. cricket commentary team, which kept me involved in the game. Um, and I, I've always enjoyed watching it, particularly commentating on the game and trying to analyse the game. So that's kept me enjoying the game. Did you know the nine gig was there? Because I've got to think that's a perfectly understandable reason to say, well, maybe now is the right time. Um, I, I didn't know it was absolutely there. Um, I, would, I was lucky enough that I'd signed a deal with Channel 9, some sort of lo- loyalty deal when I was still captain, that I would consider... Um, uh, they would consider me and I would consider joining the network uh, when I retired but it, it certainly wasn't set in stone so I had to pass the test of uh, of having lunch with Kerry uh, and James Packer and being grilled for three hours about my knowledge and love of the game and how I would go um, so I think once I'd passed that test I was then offered a contract <laughs> yeah so that was that was the daunting initiation to, we went to a restaurant here in Sydney called Beppy's in Stanley Street lovely restaurant where Obviously, the Packers uh, spent a bit of time uh, over the years, and I sat down there, and we were surrounded by all these beautiful wines, and I thought, wow, I could have five of those and six of those and eight of those. And, and the, the, the waiter came out and said, Mr. Packer, looking at Kerry, said, what would you like? And he said, I'll have a soda water, thanks. And he, looked at ja- he looked at James Packer, he said, Mr. Packer, what would you like? Okay, so, Tub, Kerry, uh, this beautiful establishment with a really expensive wine, he gets a soda water. What does James do? Well, the, 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 
The waiter then turns to James and says, what would you like, Mr. Packer? He says, a soda water. <laughs> and I'm looking around at these wines. And... Broad. Oh, he's got, he's got Stark all tangled up there. Gets a top Ooh. edge, but it falls a bit short of Crawley. Good ball from Broad, but no reward. Yeah, so eventually the, the waiter turns to me and says, Mr. Taylor, what would you like? And I'm thinking, wow, there's, there was Grange Hermitage. There was <laughs> the Hill of Grace. There was every good red wine you could think of and I, and I do like my red Dan as you know um, and I turned to the waiter and said mate I'll have a, a light beer thanks and I, and I, one of the great regrets of my life a light beer and I, I'd got the taxi there and everything you know so I, I had oh. my plan B organised the whole lot that was, your, that was your compromise I love it so Nine had a great camaraderie even here it's been great you know being part of this and it's got its own camaraderie but there's nothing like the camaraderie of, you know, a test team. And that was a really golden era. The War Twins and uh, McGrath and Gillespie and Brett Lee was about to come on. Warney, of course. McGill, I think, had a great summer. Um, Healy was still a part of it then. Well, there are times you go, I just can't replace. This is great. There's Channel 9 life and Mr. Fujitsu. It's a great lifestyle. But so many athletes have that problem. They just can't replicate the absolute glory days. You never had that problem. No, no I was probably very lucky. Um, the, the, the Fujitsu thing came on right at the end of my my playing days, um, around the time I just bought, uh, was building a home. So that's how I ended up striking a deal with Fujitsu. Channel Nine was the other the other main thing that in my life and still is, I suppose, my working life. So I was lucky. And also the fact that the money was was good at cricket at the time, but it wasn't great. It wasn't yeah. like it is now. So. You knew you couldn't rely on it forever. Yeah, so it, it lies very different now for the, for the guys you play today because the contracts are so good and there's T20 cricket, there's leagues all over the place. They, they are what they call full-time professionals now. So, And it must be harder, I think, today to give it away because the money is so good. You're giving away you know, potentially millions of dollars by yeah. retiring these days. To me, it wasn't quite like that, you know. I was sort of backing myself to do as well or something similar off the field as I was doing on the field in terms of money. So it was never a money decision. It was about the cricket, yeah. and I knew I wouldn't play as good a cricket if I kept playing. So I'm glad I got out when I did. All right, Tub, so no regrets. Tell me about some of the people you got to meet during the journey, particularly as captain of the national cricket side. You would have met some absolute you know, heroes and, and people that, most of us would have no right to meet. Uh, well, I suppose um, meeting the Queen and presenting the team to the Queen in in Buckingham Palace, actually, because normally the Queen comes to Lords. Yes. Uh, but in '97, I, I think because it rained a lot, the Queen didn't come to Lords, so we actually went to Buckingham Palace. Well, that's even better. Oh, it, it was better, but it was a bit scary because I we had to all sort of line up in a room, and as captain, I had to. Uh, meet the Queen and, and do all the, the protocols that go with meeting the Queen and then introduce the team and I, and I went sort of Steve Waugh, Vice Captain Ian Healy and I'm making my way down the list and all the guys are in alphabetical order and I got to Brendan Julian Uh-oh. and I forgot his name <laughs> oh, all, no. all, seriously all, all I could think of was BJ, that's his, obviously his nickname Brendan Julian and I'm looking at BJ and, and that's all that came into my head was BJ not Brendan Julian Interesting thing to say to the Queen as the next ball defended by Stark. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at Brendan. He's looking at me, and the Queen's looking at me for a, 
to introduce him and eventually after what felt like probably 10 seconds was probably closer to two or three it twigged and I went oh Bre- Brendan Julian <laughs> your, your majesty Brendan Julian and, and BJ sort of nodded and did what you're doing and and at the end of it, I got through it, and I, you know, I was sweating up and all this stuff. VJ walked up to me afterwards and said, you forgot my name, didn't you? And I said, <laughs> mate, I did. I did forget your name. Oh, that was, that was a moment where you just you can't breathe. All right, there's the famous old story, Dennis Lilly. I think I might have been the centenary test. <laughs> uh, very yeah. colloquial when, introducing, when introduced to the Queen. Was there a particular player in 97 you thought, God, I hope he behaves himself. I hope he is respectful of the (laughs) traditions of the monarchy. Have a guess who that would have been. SK Warren. (laughs) SK Warren was the one there, for sure. No, but all the guys were very good. Um, It was was actually really good, as you say. Actually, meeting the Queen in... um, uh, in Buckingham Palace was actually better because we actually got to spend a couple of hours there and uh, yeah, it, it was um, yeah, a really good afternoon or actually no, it might have been morning tea I think we had there so oh, was I was going to say, this is a, a tea and finger food situation Yes, yeah, very much so the, yeah, we, weren't, we weren't sculling stubbies, put it that way <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, the other one that comes to mind straight away is Nelson Mandela I thought you'd Meeting say that. Mandela, that Oh, that was fantastic. It really was. That, that was inspirational. Just, you know, coming and meeting, meeting the side and introducing the side to, and, and just how down-to-earth he was. You, we heard all the stories about, what, 27 years or something it was and on Robben Island and you expected yeah. to meet this sort of bitter man, but he was, he was just full of light, you know, and energy. It was fantastic. So you talk about Mandela, and everyone says the same thing, Tubby. You meet the bloke, he's so inspirational. And mm. you talked about his positive attitude. I mean... No disrespect. He mightn't have known anything about cricket. Maybe he did. I don't know. But it, it, just tell me more about this guy. What, why he, this man is so special? Because what you're saying is is basically commonplace. Well, well I think because you, uh, remember we went over there in 1994. Uh, it was the first Australian side uh, toured uh, in South Africa since about I think it might have been Bill Laurie's team in about 69 it was like 25 years mm. and it was around that time where Mandela was released from prison and, and, and was back in power so there was times during that South African tour that we were told to stay uh, in our hotel room because of various rallies that were going on at the time so um, there was a bit of unrest and so you, you, you meet this guy on the back of all these stories yeah so I think you you you, you sort of paint a picture in your own mind about what the guy is going to be like that you know mm. locked up oppressed um and then released takes over power there's this expectation you're going to meet this bitter um uh, you know, very strong character which he was but you're going to meet this guy who's got the the, the the world to pay back for what's happened to his life but you meet someone totally opposite who actually just talks about your life, talks about cricket. Yes, yeah, so I don't. I don't recall if he knew that much about the game of cricket, but he knew enough to have a, a wow. conversation about it and and be very uh, endearing. Um, so it, it, it just made you feel very comfortable around him when you. That's not what you expected. That's the one person in the world who would be totally entitled to talk about themselves, mm-hmm. and probably would you would there be an expectation that you'd go and see him. Of course, he's going to talk about himself. He's been—he was locked in the clink for 27 years. But that's really interesting that his his first move is to talk about you. That—that that is really interesting about mm. Nelson Mandela. Uh, that, that was a that was a great moment. So, and I, I think there's obviously 
some you know rock stars. Elton John, Elton John's a mad sporting fan, so you know we were lucky enough to go to a few of his concerts and what have you. So that that was great days. Anyway, so that's a couple of beauties, Tub, the Queen and, and Nelson Mandela, top of the list. <laughs> Elton John, he, now he dead set knows his cricket, doesn't he? he he's not. Oh, yeah. uh, he doesn't turn up at Lords one day a year. He, he follows it properly. Yeah, he loves his cricket and, and his, or his football, as they say, his, his soccer. He, he, he certainly was owned Watford Football Club That's for a right. while. I don't know if he still does. So he loves his sport in general. So, yeah, he was very passionate about sport. Jack Heverin, Mark Waugh and Greg Blewett. And you could see all the, the Australian fielders after they saw that delivery from Pat Cummins. They all ran past the, the English mm. batters and, you know, they're making the odd remarks amongst themselves about, ooh, just starting to play tricks. <laughs> It's even worse when you're waiting to go into bat, aren't you, Blue? And you're watching that just fly through. You're thinking, oh, it's actually not as bad when you're out in the middle. When you're waiting to watch it, it's, it's really gets on your nerves. Yeah, well, the openers do it tough, don't they, Junior? <laughs> well, I was in, I was in the, the golden wing lounge, as they used to call it, the number four, or the Qantas uh, lounge these days. <laughs> In this situation, June, with 25 minutes left, could you be found or had you disappeared for the day? Well, I'd have the night watchman uh, with his pads on. <laughs> you'd, be, next in. you'd be putting his pads on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, push him out the gate. You, you're in the next. You've just bowled 30 overs in the heat, but you're batting next. <laughs> and then you'd be organising the next one. Right, yep. if he ja- gets out, you're yep. next. <laughs> Jason Gillespie was the best perfect night watchman, wasn't he? No shots, just... Dead batted the ball. He was the perfect one to send in. They've potentially got four night watchmen, I reckon, in England. Well, the eight, nine, ten, eleven, you can bunch them all together. They've got a long tail. <laughs> Maybe James Anderson? Definitely not Stuart Broad. For Cooper's Mild Ale, Triple M rocks the ashes.